0: and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he said to them, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" And they said, "No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit." And he said, "Into what were you baptized?" They said, "Into John's baptism." And Paul said, "John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus." On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, that is Christianity at this time, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. Reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years. Note that this is the longest place that we have recorded that Paul spends in one location. So that all residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, you know, as you have around uh, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva we're doing this. But the spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Memory verse for some of kids this week. We're going home with that. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now we're not going to read through the rest of the story of what's depicted in Ephesus and Acts, in which the people are going to riot again because Paul comes in preaching that these idols that you are building of, in this case, Artemis, the goddess of fertility and sex and, and family life and all these things, that they believed they had a special connection to because they had the temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. It's no slouch of a building. They had this temple. They believed that she had a special favor upon them and because they realized that Paul was preaching so much that these idols were worthless that they ended up rioting because they realized they were making no more money. But we see this in Ephesus. Again, the place that Paul at least recorded in Acts spends the most amount of time, two years. And... In part, it is likely because of what he's depicting in this story, which is something we have seen in other places. But in this place, he is going to zoom in on the spiritual and demonic warfare that's present in Ephesus, likely because of the pagan temple that invited its presence. And of course, as we see the amount of magic and dark arts that was eventually brought forward as Paul began to preach a more powerful power. And we've talked about this even a few weeks ago, but I felt compelled that we needed to zoom in on this more closely in Acts 19. That we live in a world in which we can see, taste, smell, feel, experience through our five empirical senses. And we live in a world that we cannot see. We cannot taste, we cannot touch, we cannot smell, we cannot feel. We cannot perceive through our empirical senses. We know this in part as the scripture lays it out, because there is a power random chaos theory, but there is a sense of organization intelligence sophistication around it I mean you see this in in idolatry in immorality in injustice I mean just. Think about your experience with things like addiction, anxiety, depression, pride, hatred, relational division, hurtful words, manipulative actions. Now there is something very physical about that. Again, we live in a world in which we can see, taste, smell, touch, feel, and there's, I'm not neglecting the biological, physical realities to all of those things. However, we short-sightedly miss the fact that there is something far deeper going on in all those things. Something that we cannot see, taste, smell, touch, feel. Not only that, but the church, the people of God, are tasked with building a kingdom which is in direct conflict to the kingdom that is perpetuating a sophisticated brand of evil. And so because that's true, you just by, not even just by being here, or not even just by being one who proclaims Jesus' name, if that is you, but just by being one who bears his image, you are a marked man or woman or child. Because this kingdom is hell bent quite literally at attacking and destroying our father. And our father created image bearers. He said, Hey, here's how I'm going to create my image, not into little gold or silver or wooden statues, but I'm going to create humanity, men and women made in my image. So that in times of, yesteryear when people would step off onto a boat into a new land and they would say who rules here they would look to the statues and say whose image is that because that's the ruler but instead it would say in a way that if you stepped onto this world and you would not know who was ruling here you would look at the men and women who abide and he says that's the image of the one who rules here so we have and we have not only a calling, but here's what I want us to see today. I want us to see out of Acts 19 and out of the scriptures and particularly in the book of Ephesians, which Paul is going to write to this group of people as well as it probably circulated around a number of other people, but he did write it and he sent it to Ephesus. People who had experienced what happened here through the sons of Sceva, through the destruction of the dark arts materials, through the riots in the, t- around the temple of Artemis. He wrote to them the book of Ephesians. So I want to look at those two pieces and I want to make this, what I want to stand out clearly to you. I want you to know that we have an authority, you and I, as God's image bearers, an authority to build his kingdom against the kingdom who is in this world. We have the power to do the will of God and build that kingdom because of our relationship to Jesus, who all authority has been given to. Why does Acts 19 occur in things like Acts 19 on a regular basis? And here's why. the demonic and spiritual warfare that is around us has no authority in this world, but it does have access to power. And it's powers access is through the lies it tells and power is released. When God's image bearers and co-rulers on this earth believe those lies, Repeat those lies, live in and create a reality in which those lies become true. They have no authority. They do have a portal entry into power. It's you and me. I mean, let's talk about this. Ultimately, how does this work? Because if you look back to the beginning in Adam and Eve, when God creates all things, has man and woman in the garden, and all of a sudden we see the tempter and deceiver show up. That's all the description we're given by him, by the way. We don't have a direct name. We've later given names, but those are more based off of titles and words, not necessarily actual surnames or given names. But the tempter and the deceiver shows up. And he doesn't show up like a banshee or a wraith terrorizing them. He shows up lying to them. Can you actually trust that God is out for you? Did God really say that? Did he prevent you from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Have you looked at it? It says at that point, Eve looks, she sees that it's good for food, it's lovely to the eye, and it's good to make one wise, and she takes and she eats, and she gives, and Adam takes, and he eats. Here's ultimately the playbook. Come to the creation, the image bearers, those who have co-ruling power on earth as it is in heaven and introduce a small but powerful lie. He who created you, who you have shared power with, who has done all things for you, provided all things for you, does not love you and does not have your best interest in mind. So if you are going to get yours, if you are going to be safe, if you are going to be secure, if you are going to have pleasure, if you are going to experience all that this world has to offer, if you are going to be God, then that's exactly what you have to do. You take your control of your life and your world in your hands. And so you see Adam and Eve do that, and what immediately happens? Separation and disunity blaming of one another and then they have children who continue to have lies spoken to them this time Cain has lies spoken to him that God likes your brother better and so because he eventually perceives that, begins to breathe that out and act upon that he kills his brother And you have then generation after generation after generation of it passing in just the same order. Continue to convince the co-rulers and image bearers that they are not loved and are not cared for and therefore will not be ultimately taken care of unless they take it into their own hands. And so I start to take mine. Why? Because if I don't, you will. And so you get ahead of me before I have the ability to take mine. And you take it before I have the ability to take it for myself. And that plays out in micro and macro ways. Again, for generations until you have, again, murder and theft and constantly always everyone pointing the gun and getting a a larger and larger arm race to point back at each other and saying, I'll pull if you pull, but I'll pull first. I mean, again, it's it's crazy because this happens in such a way that you and I now talk about the world as just like, well, that's just the way that it is. The reality is that's just the way that it is because that's the way that we built it. And so, therefore, we built it that way and now have to continue to exist in a reality of that's just the way that it is. And so it self-perpetuates and gets more and more momentum. You can see this on a microcosm level if you have children, and I do. I have four, and they are all close in age. And just a microcosm level. This is just kind of like with the picture of human history. One of them is playing with a toy, sets down the toy, maybe to help another sibling. A third sibling comes up and finds a toy just sitting there with no one around it, picks up the toy, begins to play with. The first one comes back after having done something righteous and good and true, sees that the other one has taken the toy. They scream. They hit. They begin attacking. I start to enter in. And they say, they stole it from me. The other one says, no, it was on the ground. He says, I just put it down for a second. The other one now, because they've been hit and screamed at and told on, is now saying, I don't want to give it back. And now we have to enter into the point of now crossing lines. And now pretty much we get to a point where everyone is screaming at each other. That's human history told through my children. Because here, let's just work out this reality just as I've just laid it out. In real time. Do you want to see this play out? We could back up history for like the last 50 years, but let's just talk about the last year and a half or two, right? Because everyone kind of phrases everything through like since March of 2020. Let's just say, through a broken world, which, by the way, uh, God said when Adam and Eve break the world, they say, hey, now creation's fractured because of you. None of it's going to work the same. There's going to enter in pain and disaster and toil. And, of course, that just gives more ammunition for a deceiver to come in and say, look, there's chaos happening everywhere. The one who created this can't love you. Or if he does love you, then he can't be real or not powerful enough to stop it. And so then you have a situation in which, however it happens, a disease enters the world. And it's one that, wisely so, makes us isolate from one another. But in the isolation, we have created a level to communicate to the world, but it's used mainly to take pot shots and fire insults at the other sides. And this begins to pick up momentum, and then righteous and good anger towards certain things is now turned back and militarized back at the other side and this side and that side. And now there's so many different sides. You're not even sure when you stand up and say, I'm with them, but they say, but they're not with us because they're not with this side of us. And, and there becomes all of a sudden everyone fractured and isolated and pointing the metaphorical ammunition at one another. And here's what I want to point out may have just happened in real time. Some of you are hearing me talk right now And I am attempting as best as I can to say extremely neutral statements about the last 18 months. But some of you are having those reinterpreted by the spirit that is in the air right now as I speak and saying, Oh, he's sympathizing with that side. Oh, he's not being hard enough on that side. He's now a part of the problem. And I mean... I'm flawed and infallible. Maybe I did say something misspeakingly, misspokenly, but there's no ability to say like, well, I'm just going to receive that with a sense of like grace. There's a sense of now it continues to get built up and built up more and more. Or you did this, not everyone, but let's face it. Most of us all probably had some level where we thought at some point, as I made that description, you thought of the side that you thought was actually the problem because you heard me describe them in vague terms. Even though I wasn't really necessarily describing any side at any point. And you thought, they're the ones who are creating the problem. But the whole point of this is to say, there is a power who is spreading lies against the Creator and the Father and against each other so that we would constantly be saying, that's the one, they're the ones. So that's the reality we're in. Let's talk about some good news. Ephesians chapter 1, flip there with me if you would. Again, this is the letter that he writes to the people of Acts 19 in their city. He says this in chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I think upwards of 11 times, Paul's writing to the Ephesians and he says, hey, let's talk about the fact that there is a power in this world that has no spiritual authority. It has power and it enters in through you. But here's the reality. You have been given all power. Why? Because you are in him. You are in the son. Not just in relation to him. You are counted in him. So that he who has all rule and authority has now given you all rule and authority to begin to push and fight back the powers that exist in this world. Why? Because you have his authority. You are in him. How does that play out? (sighs) Let's keep reading for this reason. Because I've heard of your faith in Lord Jesus Christ, your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and a power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, chapter two. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Nobody came in here because you were spiritually good. You were all dead and in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised him up with him and seated him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Where does Jesus show his ultimate authority over darkness? It is in the cross. When he's doing a few things, as we already read, he's taking care of the debt that is created when we follow after the power in this world and follow after dark, and s- dark demonic behavior and activity and the power in which leads us astray. There created a real debt, a real sense of evil that needed to be taken care of. And so he pays for that. And he also displays to everyone who sees, I'm not the one who doesn't love you. I'm not the one who is aiming to destroy you. In fact, if it's necessary, and it is for you to believe it, I will be destroyed on your behalf. There's no greater power to reverse the fundamental lie that God does not care about you than the ultimate picture that he ultimately and completely does. So much so that Paul is going to continue to key off of this book in most of his, or this moment in most of his writings, but in the book of Ephesians to say, now that you have been loved with such a great love, How do you push in the kingdom and fight back the power? First, you expose the lies and expose them to the truth that is, that your God does care about you. He has put you in Him. He has predestined all things to work out for the good of those who have been called according to his purposes he is holding your life together and he ultimately will do all things so that you will not have missed out on a thing he exposes that lie with the truth and the reality but then he also gives you the power and authority now freed from that lie to go and pursue others who are in bondage to those lies I mean, ultimately, this power that we talk about in Ephesians 19, it's pretty strong. I mean, look at the sons of Sceva. The sons of Sceva are depicted as seven sons of the high priest. They are meant to be depicted... I mean, seven was a completeness number, a number of strength, and they're the sons of the high priest. They have no greater sense of power than they would know than seven sons of a high priest. And yet they are... <laughs> they, try to evoke even the name of Jesus and are so not in the spirit and have no authority that they are beaten and are left bloody and naked, which I mean, I said this, I think the first time we talked on this and it just bears repeating a lot of times when two people get in a fight after the fight, there'll always be a thing of like, well, I think I have won the fight or you won the fight. If you start a fight wearing pants and at the end of the fight, do not have pants. There's no argument that you won that fight. I mean, if somebody is coming after me with some level of power, and I realize, okay, they're going to win this fight. But at some point in the fight, it becomes evident to me that they are attempting to embarrass me by taking my pants off. you got to believe that I'm now going to go into all senses of, like, I might not win this fight, but I'm keeping my pants. And the fact that they could just pluck finger, 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 finger off, and now I'm derobed shows that... What are we dealing with here? I mean, this is not like, oh, you know, just like he had an extra 20 pounds on me. This is like, there's no league. But yet just before that, this power that had defeated the seven sons of Scema completely embarrassed them. Paul defeats, how? By just sweating on a rag or an apron. Because because he is so filled with the truth and the reality and the authority given to him by the Holy Spirit, that his garments are healing people and casting out demons. This is a completely powerful source that we're going up against and we would be wise to heed it. But it has no power over he who has overcome him who is in the world. The one who is in you and the same power that raised him from the dead is in you and I when we believe and are filled with the Holy Spirit. So again, that power that not only begins to work its way out just by purely repelling away the darkness, but it also starts to fill my mind with truth. And then it also gives me a mind that sees Jesus who has so loved and sacrificed for me that I am able to absorb and love and sacrifice for others. And therefore... Wake them up like I was woken up. I mean, that's what the rest of the book of Ephesians and Ephesians 4 is going to start laying out. That Paul's going to say, hey, now because you have been saved by him who has bought you back from those who possessed you and has now restored to you the truth that he is actually the one that is holding your life together and giving you all good things and all spiritual blessings, he's given you every spiritual blessing. He's given you everything. There is nothing that on the other side of eternity you're going to say, I missed out on. And because he's the one who's done that, now you can bind together. Preserving the bond of peace, it's going to say in Ephesians 4. Tearing down the wall of hostility that divides, it's going to say in Ephesians 2. Serving one another. Bearing with one another. Bearing each other's burdens for one another continually, experientially defeating the lie that you are alone and that you are worthless. Jesus experientially defeated it for those of us who now believe and probably, I'm guessing, there was someone who embodied it to you. And now you are given the ability to continually grow out of those lies and embody it to another. So how do we proceed in this moment, in this time, and in this place? Actually, I think you see all these things in Ephesians 6. If you're still in Ephesians, flip over to Ephesians 6. Starting in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for, and this is huge, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The other side is not the other side. It's your side and you've been lied to believe they're the other side. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but the schemes of the devil. Uh, or yeah. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The w- first way that we proceed in this place and in this time is that we proceed in truth. We create a world in which we are regularly reminding ourselves and reminding each other of the truth and reality that is both revealed to us in the scripture and revealed to us in the spirit. In the message translation of uh, Acts 19, it's translated like this in verse 20. It said, in such a way, it became evident that the word of the master was now sovereign and prevailed in Ephesus. That they became a people who were teaching and understanding the truth as revealed in scripture. Were acting it out and living it out before one another. So much so that people just look to Ephesus and says, the word of the master prevails there. It would make sense, as I always say. People always say, like, you've been talking all about the spiritual reality. I'm not sure if I actually even believe this because I don't see a lot of evidence for it. I always point out, if you were a sophisticated and intelligent being trying to perpetuate evil in a Western society that only believed in what they could empirically see, taste, smell, feel, and touch, wouldn't you make sure that you just remained imperceivable? But if you were in maybe, say, I don't know, a impoverished South American country in which you were deathly afraid of spirits that were inhabiting every place, wouldn't you show up in nightmares and terrorize people? Which absolutely happens, by the way. Talk to someone who's been there. And so it makes sense that we need to be regularly reminding and filling ourselves with truth that it's not just I'm getting in the scriptures so I can check off a box, but rather I'm reminding the story of who I am, who God is, who the enemy actually is, who my brothers and sisters actually are and how I am to live that out in this reality. I mean, scripture, I, I, love, I love Tim Mackey of the Bible Projects, his definition of what scripture is. He says it's a whole genre. Yes, it's many different genres, poems, histories, uh, you know, uh, gospel narrative, all those things. But he says as a meta-narrative, it's ancient Jewish wisdom literature. What do you do with wisdom literature? You meditate on it. It doesn't reveal its secrets just by opening up and saying, okay, I got all the who, what, where, when, why, and hows but I get all those things. I read it. I let it shape me over time and life, and I reorient my frame to reality through truth. That's the first. So stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given to the gospel of peace. Let's talk about those two things. First, the breastplate of righteousness. This speaks to one thing. Not giving a foothold for the enemy to have authority over your life. Or maybe as better put, not giving a place where you entertain lies and just have them sit in the background app spinning and constantly shaping you just a little bit. It's going to talk about several times in the scripture, don't give a foothold to the devil of the enemy. It's usually going to describe footholds as this. One, obviously believing lies that are not true. And that stands to holding the truth of reality of scripture regularly reframing your mind or another way entertaining sin entertaining ways that god has said you will not find human flourishing this way but yet continually just saying like i don't know about that or maybe you say i do know about that but i'm just completely in bondage to addiction through this Rather, doing everything we can to put that in the ground, to fight it out. Because believing and entertaining sin is basically just playing with something as if to say, maybe this is truth and giving it just enough of a foothold so that, man, all of a sudden, maybe I don't think it's truth, but I'm so held on to it, I can't let go of it. And maybe there gets a point where I don't even want to let go of it. And maybe there's a point where I'm even defending it. And there's a point where I'm so breathing out the lies that I have been told so many times. I now just believe them to be true. Have you noticed in the scriptures, whenever there's spiritual demonic activity, it never speaks out loud. It speaks through the person that it's holding on to and has such a grip on. Because that's how it happens with me and you. Again, a lie enters in, you can't trust God and you are worthless. And it will be said so often to you until eventually you are the one who says, I can't trust God and I'm worthless. And then eventually you'll start to look at other people and say, you can't trust God and you're worthless. The portal is us. And so it's, taking seriousness to remove all footholds. That's not only sin, that's also bitterness. Just holding on to the sense of, I don't want to forgive this person. And then just continually coaxing the idea that maybe they are the enemy. In fact, maybe everyone's the enemy. Maybe I'm completely alone and isolated. Maybe nobody actually knows me and can speak to my situation. Until I'm so I've so built a tower of, defense of defense, defenses and lies. And I'm trapped in it without the key. I built myself into the walls of it. It starts by just saying, I don't really want to forgive that person. That's again, as it also talks about the, the shoes of peace, uh, where it says they have those on. Why? Because if we are going to have a spirit of truth in which we are loving and serving and correcting one another, it needs to be cloaked in a spirit of love and unity. Go try to tell somebody truth without thinking that they actually can trust you and that you have their best interest in mind. It is impossible to get in. But yet if we have a situation where I realize, man, this person offended me but instead of firing back, I'm going to absorb it and I'm going to serve them. And maybe they offend me again, I'm going to absorb that and I'm going to serve them. And they offend me again, I'm going to absorb that and, 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 and serve them until eventually they recognize that the power that they are shooting out is just getting absorbed and returning back with a sense of love and unity and care and bearing their burden. And again, that has the capacity to actually wake somebody up. And then maybe, just maybe, I do have the ability to say, hey, I see a way in which you're holding and in bondage to a lie. I've said before, there are certain people, if you want me to just like, I don't know, do anything, you want me to walk away from my job, you want me to like say, yeah, like I'm just gonna step away here. I, I wouldn't wanna do it, but there are certain people who I know love me so much and have so much of my best interest in mind. If they tell me, I will believe them because I am positive that they are telling truth to me. Having the shoes that run to do peace are creating an environment where we are so convinced that each other loves one another that if they're speaking a word of truth to me, I absolutely would believe that they will have my best interests in mind. And maybe even if they're mistaken, that's just it. And I can absorb that in grace and we continue to preserve the bond of peace. But maybe they're not mistaken. Maybe I am. Maybe I have built myself into the wall. And they're actually extending a hand to pull me out the top. So we hold on in truth and righteousness or not giving a foothold of preserving the love and unity of peace. So I'll end here. Are there some of us right now who are just recognizing I am in complete bondage to some lie, to some sin, to some addictive behavior, to some form of bitterness, of unforgiveness that I will not extend. And I just recognize that I'm here. This is a safe family for you. We're all in this. We're all fighting to recognize the lies that we have just come to believe as reality and replace them with truth. We're all fighting to believe the fact that we are actually so loved that we can so love other people by absorbing sin and darkness and it ending with us and it putting in, it into the ground through our body. You are safe here. You are free and you are invited. If there's things you need to repent of to bring to the light to get rid of the power, then come forward and repent. If you need to be prayed for, you're like, maybe I don't know if this is spiritual bondage. Who cares? Just put it in the ground by, like at let's at least address that. There's nobody who goes to the doctor and says like, well, this medication might help. It won't do anything bad. Well, I just don't know. I want to make sure I know that it's going to help before I actually take it. Just take it. If it works, then Hallelujah. I now recognize that there is probably the spirits in the air just rerouted that to make that more political than I ever actually had ever intended it to be. And that's just proof. <laughs> and so, yes, come forward for prayer. In fact, I just, I'd ask, uh, Tim and Julie Landrum, who Tim's a pastor here. They both are just, I think, care deeply about this to ask if they would just be present and available for prayer, uh, let's just say up in here uh, after the gathering um, I'm available and love to be available for prayer if there needs to be counseling set up we can help you arrange that if there needs to be a medical appointment set up we can help arrange that do not continue to struggle alone let's pray Father God Lord, I pray again, protection for the words that have been said so that that which was not of you would, fa- would be taken away and that which is of you. The reality that you are ultimately not the enemy and neither are, neither are we. Neither am I, neither are our brothers and sisters, neither are the ones who we see on the other side. But Rather, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces and the authorities and the rulers and the dominions that have no authority And now through the power of the Spirit, we can unearth the lies that we have lit in, correct them with truths, and pursue after others who are in bondage. So much though that would be like in Ephesus where they saw thousands of people destroying that which they found to be things that they had put faith in to give them power but never could. And there was such a peace and such a freedom that it could only be described by the word of the master now prevailed in Ephesus. Let that be true of some of downtown. Let that be true of downtown Indianapolis through those who have been freed. Because free people, free people. pray that in Jesus' name, amen.